Hello, hello, welcome back. It's Tony here. Welcome to episode 121 of the Leading Women in Tech podcast. I have a treat for you today. I have an interview with three extraordinary women. I'm doing more of those kind of like multi-person interviews. This is actually something I recorded earlier in the year, I think sometime in the summer. Um, You've heard from all of these three women before on the podcast as individuals, but I wanted to bring them together for you today. But before we do that, let's just give you a little bit of an update of what's happening around here. We are gearing up for year's end. Uh, We are making plans over at TonyCollis.com. My entire team and I are planning out in detail 2023 uh, that's our main focus, actually, as we wrap up the year is what do we want to do for the women in tech leadership community in 2023? I'd actually love to hear from you. You all know my mission statement by now is to change the face of the technology industry. I happen to love coaching and teaching, which is great. But my mission is what drives me. So I would love to hear from you. What would you like? How do you need support in 2023? What would you like to hear more of on the podcast? less of on the podcast, what would you like to have us do both in terms of offerings and also free things? Like what could we do to support you? Because I know not everybody can come and work with me. I would love it if you all could, but I know that's not possible. So what would you like to see more of us doing? How are you feeling going into the end of the year in terms of support, in terms of your professional development, in terms of, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing for my career here? Or just figuring out what your next steps are. My goal is to help you become the best, most successful version of you so you can change the technology industry. So do let me know how I can support you, how my team can support you, how all the programs that we run, how the podcast can support you, all those things. Drop me a DM, send me an email. I still read all my emails. I don't get to them straight away, but I still read all my emails. So please do let me know. But without further ado, let me tell you about today's three guests. These women are all VPs of engineering or have been until very recently. You've heard them from them all individually on the podcast as VPs of engineering. They all work with me. I'm extraordinarily privileged to be working with these women. And I know that many of you listening come from an engineering background. I did myself. And so although I know we have marketers and salespeople, we have CEOs, we have chief revenue officers listening, We have directors of digital engagement. We have community managers. We have all sorts of people listening to the show. The one commonality is that you all have a desire to be better leaders in the technology industry or to improve leadership in technology industry or get ahead in your career. But I do know there's quite a lot of you who come from that engineering background. And so I thought it'd be really useful to share some of the commonalities that you experience as engineers, but also to share with those of you who are not engineers what it means to be working with an engineering team because if you're working in a technology company you'll likely have a massive focus on the engineering team even if you're not an engineer yourself something about technology (laughs) is dictating what you do in your day job and so I wanted to bring these three women together because they've got unique experiences different approaches but they've also got commonalities I hope will help you either get ahead as an engineering leader yourself or understand how better to interface with engineering leaders if you want an engineer yourself. So without further ado, let me introduce them. The first lady on the show today is Catherine Van Diver. She is a VP of engineering, global engineering leader, and passionate about building 
great software, great code modernization, and going through team transformation. In fact, during the time I've worked with her, she has been building an extraordinary team, and she is passionate about working on excellence. She's gone through building the team. She's now built such a great team. It's now all about building excellence and adopting the practices and the energy and the vision that's going to help her really deliver for her organization. She currently works for a startup in San Francisco. This woman is just, she could take on the world. Actually, all three of these women could take on the world. Who am I? What am I saying here? <laughs> the second extraordinary lady is Josie Haynes. Uh, she was a VP of engineering at Tile until very recently. She has just set up her own business. I'm going to let her tell you about that. She has 22 years of experience in technology as a software engineering leader, wrapping up roles at Apple, Zinger, American Express, and finally at Tile before she set up her own business. And right now, she is a coach specializing in leadership and DEI. I just love that so much. This woman, again, she's she's done so many things. She's grown her team by 45%. She helped lead the work on Siri music domain team work development for the HomePod. I think this woman's just been everywhere. <laughs> and last but not least, definitely not least, is the extraordinary Sushma Nalapita, also known as Sue. Again, another VP of engineering, passionate about building highly performant and vastly scalable engineering teams. She's currently VP of engineering at Parman List, a mum to a six-year-old daughter. Actually, Catherine's a mum too, but Sushma put this one in her bio, and I love people who do that. I think we should embrace this. <laughs> and Sue is one of these people who has really led the way in her organization in terms of building a culture of learning and growth, implementing and scaling agile processes. In fact, we're going to hear a little bit about pods from these three ladies because one of the things, these three women have worked together with me. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is pods. And I'm very excited to bring that idea to you if you've never heard of them before. But Sushma's motto is make a lot of decisions since it enables you to think learn and grow faster and that just so epitomizes what I think we need to do more of as leaders is don't hold back on the decisions you need to make the decisions so you can learn from it so powerful so without further ado let's get these three women onto the show you're listening to the leading woman in tech podcast where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech the techniques tips and strategies you can use to become a standout leader I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech, Sushma, Josie, Catherine. I am so thrilled to get all three of you on the same show at the same time. Welcome back to the show. Hey. Hi. It's so great to be here. Thank you. All right. Let's dive straight on in. Um, I'm going to take you one at a time and ask you to give a brief intro, how you came to be a VP of engineering, because you're all VPs of engineering. We're going to try and keep this short and sweet, of course, but I'd love to hear from each of you what you do, why you do what you do, and where you are at right now in your career. Sushma, are you ready? Off you go. I am. I'm Sushma. I go by Sue sometimes. I'm currently a VP of engineering at Apartment List. I grew up in a world where technology just changed human behavior and consumer behavior. 
because everything happens online and that fascinated me so much. And that led me on a path to actually build software for millions of consumers. Early part of my career, I worked on building e-commerce software and that evolved into building marketplaces right now. So, so excited to be here. Thank you, Sushma. Josie, can you introduce yourself as well? Absolutely. It's so great to be here. So I'm Josie Haynes. I was most recently the VP of Software Engineering at Tile, and I actually left recently and started my own company doing engineering leadership coaching focused on building high-performing teams through empathy and compassion. My mission after almost having left the tech industry in early 2018 is actually retaining women in tech through empowering engineering leaders with inclusion. Oh, the lady that speaks after my heart. <laughs> and Catherine, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Tony. I'm Catherine Vandiver. I'm currently VPE at a company called Blue Owl. We're an insure tech company. I've been in the industry for quite a while, um, starting out in the days when everybody was going from proprietary operating systems into Unix. So um, stayed mostly in operating systems and infrastructure and recently joined B2C, which is a real exciting place to be these days. Mm. And so I've met you all because you all worked with me. Um, and actually, the reason why we're doing this podcast episode today is because all three of you meet up regularly in one of my coaching groups. And we've just had so many amazing conversations in those groups. Yes, you're all VPs of engineering. And to those of you listening, if you're not a software engineer, um, an engineer of some other description, maybe you work in marketing or sales or product a lot of what we're going to talk about still applies to you. And this is one of the things I love about the leading women in tech community, because we have created this amazing ability to fertilize each other's understandings across an entire business. And so what I really want to do with this conversation today is help people understand how engineering interacts with the rest of an organization. And also what that means for us as engineers, if you're an engineer, I used to be, not anymore, <laughs> And also what it means if you're another part of the organization, how can you better interact with engineering? And I think this conversation is going to give us so much expertise and knowledge and insight into that. So let's start off with talking about how engineering interacts with the rest of the organization, whether engineering is a primary piece of the business or a small part. I would love to start with Josie. How do you ensure that engineering supports the business needs and how do you make sure that engineering is supporting business strategy when a lot of the time the rest of the organization doesn't even fully understand what we do as engineers? Over to you, Josie. Absolutely. And I think our roles as leaders is to, especially the VP, is to be providing that clarity, right? We want to take the technical speak that we have with our, with our ICs and those in our team and convert it into something that makes sense with the organization. So obviously, you know, I, I very much believe in goals or OKRs, you know, obviously different companies, you use different strategies, but ultimately whatever engineering is building should be tied back to that. And we should be able to have metrics that we're sharing with our counterparts in the exec team to be able to highlight how engineering is moving towards the company-wide metrics. One of the things that I like starting with is some of the developer productivity metrics that are listed in the Accelerate book. And so starting with those is a, is a great place to start. 
Can you just share with us the um, author of that Accelerate book? I think for everybody that's not heard of that before, I'll make sure that gets put in the show notes as well. Yes. So actually, let me find it here. The Accelerate book is by Dr. Nicole Forskin, Jez Humble, and Jean Kim. And basically, they look at the four key metrics that are really crucial for looking at this. So they are cycle time. So, you know, how long does it take from commit to deployment? Deployment frequency. So how often you are deploying your change failure rate. So how many times you're releasing something out there that produces a failure and mean time to recovery. So how much it takes to restore a service after a production failure. And these metrics really matter because they can directly be tied to some of the business goals. I love that. Catherine, let's dive into this a little bit more because you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years around how to describe what you do to the rest of the organization because your company isn't necessarily just a software company. They wouldn't call themselves a software company, but they need the software in order to do their job, right? So how do you how do you work with individuals who don't understand what you do? A big part of what we do in engineering is we build the solution. Is our our goal is to really take that vision of what we're doing as a company, our founders and when the vision that they have and the strategy that they have and bring it to fruition. So a big part of our engagement is really the partnership um, that we have with the rest of the organization around product, marketing growth, the the strong business side of the house, and taking that input and then making it real. So I feel like sometimes what we do is we just, you know, we're the sausage, we literally are, where you throw a problem into this pool of people, and then lo and behold, you have a an outcome that is the result of, of that challenge of creating creating something that, you know, helps us step forward, step more forward in the business. I like the fact that you use the word sausage there, because there is an element of it being a sausage machine, nobody quite knows what's going on. Um, but I think part of it is that that confusion as to what goes on inside the sausage machine and what comes out. And people will ask engineering, hey, can you just do this? Thinking it's a really quick thing. And we're like, well, no, it's not. How do you manage those expectations with stakeholders beyond engineering in your organization? You know, it's a learning in teaching from from what we've been able to do is we, you know, something may seem real trivial on the outside, but it's very complex on the inside. And so there's a big part of part of it, which is this really takes time for us to implement or we need more detail on, you know, exactly what the outcome is supposed to look like, which is the hard thing, getting a really solid definition of, of what people want, right? The team wants us to deliver. But there's a whole lot of infrastructure and complexity that goes into some of some of our solution. And we call it a solution because we're a B2C company currently versus a um, just a infrastructure. And there's there's a huge amount of um, being able to just go to the whiteboard or verbial, proverbial whiteboard with our counterparts and work through what those problems look like and, you know, help help try to educate the team along the way with regards to the, the complexity. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's a matter of, look, you have to trust us that it's going to take longer than anticipated to deliver this. And we'll, we'll try to help you along the way understand it. But, um, you know, when it comes to writing code and some of the um, components underneath, 
you know, you, you're in the minutiae, you're at the keyboard, you're writing that code. It's hard to describe to someone what that is that you're building. We just, we just need to be able to, to trust that each other are, you know, giving each other honest and, and true answers to how long something takes to deliver. Sushma, I would love your take on this. How do you make sure that you work well with the rest of your organization? Yeah, um, I think as Mark Andreessen once said, software is eating the world. It's so true today <laughs> because everything is online. Every transaction happens online. In fact, it happens when you're carrying a phone. So engineering is so core and it's a primary aspect to every business. Ultimately, engineering is responsible for one thing, which is delivering business value, whether it's in terms of building the product that customers interact with or building systems that your employees use so that they can support our end consumers. Ultimately, it's actually building software to help somebody. And as a recent example, at Apartment List, we have this time for engineers to work on something that they are passionate about. We call it the A-time. So what started as an engineering initiative to just build high-performing web application ended up being a key part of our SEO strategy. And that originated from engineering. So my job is always to connect creativity and innovation with business value. And uh, that's how I try to make everybody else understand what engineering does. Oh, that's beautiful. I know that we as a group have had conversations about how every single piece of work that is done should tie to every single strategy. Like you, well, not every single strategy, but you should clearly know like, why, why is this thing I'm doing right here right now important? Even if it's like maintenance of what I like to call the whirlwind, the day-to-day operations. Would all three of you say that that's vital for a business communication to be able to say, yes, my team does this and that's how it fits into this overall company strategy. Do you think that's essential, Sushma? Yeah, I 100% think um, because ultimately, like, you know, you really want to provide value and you want to actually communicate and articulate what value you're providing. And it's also exciting when engineers build something that impacts millions of customers. They feel very empowered that their work is actually like something that they can see it in action. So I definitely agree with that. Do Catherine, Josie, either of you want to chime in on that one? Sure. Um, I agree also. Everything we're doing has to have... Uh, business value. We have a very rich set of data that we collect and we look at that almost every day. And based on the data that we've collected and the, the analytics that we're doing with that data, we may pivot what we're delivering just to make sure that we're constantly in lockstep with where we want to take the business. And so to agree with um, Sue on that, it's, it's important that we really understand where our value is in the organization and how we help the company move forward in deriving that value. I love that. Josie? Yeah. And to add to that, I think part of it is also really being able to take that step back and think about what is it that the engineering side needs to drive the business, right? Um, So an example at Tile was we had to throw out our website and rebuild it from scratch because it had been cobbled together for six years. And that project took two years to actually get out the door. 
And was it a fight? Oh, yeah, it was a fight advocating for it. But do I truly believe the marketing team is going to be set up for a better holiday season this year? I truly believe that. You know, was it hard? Absolutely. But, you know, this is what we need to be doing as engineering leaders, taking that step back and understanding what are the most important things for us to be focusing on. I love what you said, Sue, about the refactoring and convincing your peers about the value of refactoring. And I just want to take us back to what Josie mentioned about those metrics at the beginning of our conversation, which is around cycle time, deployment frequency, um, mean time between failure and recovery rates. So I think when you start to show the the value and the correlation between how refactoring helps the cycle time, then the organization as a whole can see an increase in velocity of what you're trying to do together. Our job is to make sure that we can build the technology that's going to take that company forward, both in scale and in performance and everything having to go, having to do with, are we building the right solution for the future? There are so many projects I have been on in my career where we've had to do refactoring either at a macro level or micro level, because we see that we're going to hit a wall and we're going to fall off a cliff if we don't actually address shortfalls in our code. And there's nothing wrong with having shortfalls in the code. It's just how things have evolved. Perhaps the original architecture wasn't designed with where the product has pivoted in the customer or the market space, or perhaps we didn't anticipate the demands of the scale that would eventually be needed. So a lot of what we need to do is really protect that solution and be able to work with our counterparts in the different parts of the organization to help them understand that if we don't put time into refactoring or building the right solution in the architecture, creating a really strong foundation, then we're all going to miss out. So it's really in our benefit as an organization and as a company to be able to do those things. And I think that's a that's a really big part, I feel, of, of engineering and where we sometimes have challenges in communicating with each other um, from other functions in the organization. Tony, your original question was, what does engineering need? And that's a big part of where we need that patience and we need that trust. So the organization recognizes that when we come with these solutions and we recognize these problems, that that we, we together understand how giving, you know, building these solid foundations are important. Yeah, I 100% agree. And a lot of times we as engineering leaders have to think six months to one year ahead. And that's why I think what you said, Catherine, like patience and trust is critical because it's hard for people to see why we are trying to go in that direction when problems haven't started happening yet. But it's really anticipating, anticipating how systems are going to scale and really looking at problems from a different lens so that you can like, you know, solve the problem even before it has happened. Mm. You've just brought up a, a very interesting little nugget there, Sushma, which is thinking those six, 12 months ahead. And I know all of you and pretty much every engineer I've ever worked with and I experienced this myself has a tension at some point of, I need to think ahead and I need to know, I need a refactor this thing, like Josie was saying, because I know this is not going to be sustainable. And yet the rest of your organization is going, but it's working fine right now. How do you tackle that? Josie, I'm going to go to you first because I know you've got something burning that you want to say as well. But I'd love also for you to like, how do you tackle that? How do you tackle that? But we need, I know we need to do this, but the rest of the company just doesn't see because they don't see that it's going to fall over in six months if we don't do something about it. 
Yeah. And so first it goes to, you know, the comment about trust, right? Like we need the rest of the organization to trust that, hey, when engineering leadership says like, this might fall over and not fulfill the business needs. Like, let's figure out how to do it, um, that we do so. Um, the point I really wanted to make before I continue down this is this is why it is so important to have communities like this and other people to be chatting with because you're the only VP of engineering potentially at a small company. You don't have anybody else to bounce these ideas off of. Mm. And it is so, like, it can feel so like you're in your own echo chamber and like why am I advocating for this everybody else in the exec staff thinks I'm crazy and I have nobody to talk to about this and so I think that's why again it's so it's so crucial to have a community um but yeah I think it's it, it is important that we be taking the time to do these things and like I said it's really about really sharing why, what they're going to get, what is the value that the business is going to get out of this refactor. And I think the other thing as engineering leaders we have to realize is, hey, when we talk about something like a refactor taking years, like that is scary, scary as shit to the business. They're like, years, what? You want to put on hold, what? And so you really need to explain why this is so important, like in terms that makes sense to them. Mm, 100%. Catherine, I'll come to you next. Yeah. And I think, Josie, that's exactly right. When you do anything like a refactor and you do see these gaps or these um, things that you're going to have a shortfall on, you really need to sell it to the organization in a way that you're not going to disrupt um, the revenue stream. There's a big part of kind of a low hum in the background that you need to do in order to make it happen. But you do need to be your own advocate um, to champion those ideas and, and really help the, help others around you understand what needs to be done and why. Oh, and protect the resources, protecting the resources from that, right? I Absolutely. think that's really where we need to step in is protect, hey, we these resources are doing this low hum, right? Because so easily they can end up getting pulled in into the crisis of the week. 100%. Sue, let's bring you in on this. Yeah, and I, I think there's one thing that I would like to add is a, also your relationship with product. A counterpart matters a lot because you're two piece in a pod. Like your strategy has to align. And a lot of times, like, you know, the product can evolve faster, better if some of those technical debt or technology problems are solved as well. So I, I like to really like collaborate more with product to really make them understand why doing something is super critical and getting a buy-in early on. And more, most often, you have to kind of tell your exec team what landmines we could possibly step on if we don't actually tackle some of these problems. So I would really like to maintain a database of landmines and say, and like kind of provide a heads up early on saying, these are all the landmines that I can foresee in the future. And if we, and everything does not have to be solved right away, but as we reach certain point, it's important to tackle these landmines and giving that uh, view upfront kind of helps people understand when the time comes, like why uh, it actually matters to support it. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question because we, we've got so much we could say about this, but I really want to get into performance. And, it's, and again, a topic of conversation we've been having a lot over the last year. What have you done as a VP 
in your current organization or <laughs> your previous one to improve engineering performance and capacity. And we'll start with Catherine because I know she's got something burning to say from the last one as well. Oh, sure. Um, you know, there's a big part of empowering your team um, and helping them feel that they own the problem and they own the solution. So I think it's a matter of, um, you know, engaging them on what it is, helping them understand what they're building, helping them understand what they're architecting and delivering, and then giving them the ownership to go off and do it without jumping in and asking, you know, lots and lots of status questions, really empowering them um, to really own that problem. And I think that for for my career in the, the area, the teams that I have managed, that's worked pretty well. Um, people will step up when you give them a hard problem and when you give them that sense of ownership, they will they will come forward and actually deliver. Mm, 100%. Sue, what about you? What have you been doing to improve performance? I think there are like several aspects to this. For me, I like to think of this in three layers. Like one is this people and their career growth and excitement and how can I align their career growth with the work that they're actually doing in this process? How can we actually create an environment where engineers can operate uh, with a high degree of ownership and also transparency and uh, ease. And then there is the product that they actually need to build and like the landmines that I was talking about, how can we actually like not um, make them step on a few and how can we resolve some of those early on that will create and add to the excitement and their career growth as well. So improving engineering performance is all three aspects. When I joined Apartmentalist, one of my first key focus areas was actually implementing a career rubric so that people actually understand the roles and responsibilities really clearly. They know what growth looks like for each and every engineer. And I think that really helped solve some of the problems of, okay, what does it mean for me to level up and get to that next role? And then came like the processes, agile processes that make the team operate more effectively, like know what commitments mean and like know what delivering to those commitments actually look like. And then also processes around hiring, scaling, how do you interview new engineers who come on board um, and performance management processes as well. And how do you give each other feedback? And then lastly, thinking through that strategy and we've I've supported so many migrations like Catherine and Josie mentioned, migrating to cloud, migrating one data warehouse to another, building, rebuilding and rewriting systems and stuff. So and these are exciting for people because they feel like they're getting to learn new things while also helping the larger business achieve their goals. So um, so I view performance in these three aspects. I love that you brought in there the fact that actually having those rubrics for what it means to get to that next level is part of performance in your mind. I think all too often when we think of performance, we think about day-to-day operations. We don't think about if we empower people to embrace their own career progression, they're going to have the motivation to improve their performance. I think that is not taken seriously enough in the workplace. Would you agree? I 100% agree. I think people discount that the levelings will automatically happen. People will be promoted when they need to be promoted, but actually you need to plan for it. If you actually set expectations, it's all about expectation management. If you both know and understand what giving and taking looks like, then it becomes much more clear and you'll have a much more productive conversation. 
we've even gone as far as making even like the salary bands transparent because that was one of the big concerns like people always worried about like making those ranges transparent having those conversations with people has taken a lot of stress out of that equation now people actually understand what leveling up means and know what like salary bands are so it's a much better conversation the focus is more around high performance and productivity as opposed to problems and frustrations Mm. I just applaud you and your company for for being transparent on those bands, by the way. Josie, I want to bring you in on this because, I mean, you are the queen of pods. I have to get you to talk about pods when we talk about performance as well. Um, everybody here has had conversations about pods and it started, I think it was, I think this started with Josie. Um, Josie, can you, so. <laughs> can, you, can you tell us your nuggets of wisdom around engineering performance and capacity, but also if you can bring in pods, I'd be delighted and tell listeners what we're talking about when we talk about pods. Absolutely. So first, you know, I, I want to add to what Sue was just talking about, because, you know, I think she gave a number of examples that fall into where I really think is performance is tied to three things is mastery, autonomy and purpose for people. And so I really try to tie everything back to one of those three things when it comes to performance, because ultimately, that's what motivates people. And so that's what's going to get them to perform better. So in what ways can you provide your employees more autonomy? How can you get them the clarity? How can you be giving them the definition of done without telling them what to do along the way. And then, you know, talking about pods, that's a much more tactical thing there. But, you know, this is really a great conversation as you're scaling engineering teams. How do you scale your teams? So the concept of pods is, you know, pods, you know, could be called squads in the Spotify model. But the concept is it's a self-sufficient group of folks that are working together. And so at Tile, when I became VP of software engineering, I had 29 folks in engineering at the time. We ended up scaling the team to 55 in four and a half months. And so team structure was a huge deal. And we had inefficiencies because we were very functionally focused. I had a mobile team. I had a backend team. I had a web team. I had a QA team. And that worked great for developing that subject matter expertise when the teams were small. However, now when I have five or six product managers running around with roadmaps and have like 30, 40, 50 things the entire engineering team is doing, it was really hard funding those large cross-functional projects that were going to move the business. And so we structured a couple of the teams around those big drivers. So having a pod focused on the premium features, which was a big area for for growth, having a pod that's focused on the core mobile features, you know, have, have a pod that was focused on the web replatform. And then one of the concepts is having what's called a complicated subsystem team, which is the idea of having one team that's really your underlying infrastructure potentially for some part. And so we had, well, we wanted to have a pod on a subscription infrastructure, which was a key underlying component as well. And so a lot of this comes from a book called uh, Team Topologies. You know me, I'm always giving book references here. And so I think Team Topologies really got me thinking about how do you split up teams and talks about this law Conway's law which I think is so true which is 
your architecture really ends up reflecting your team structure. And so looking at how your team is structured is crucial as you're scaling your business. Oh, I love this. And, and these kinds of conversations are, are one of the reasons why I have adored having the group of you working together. Obviously, we we now also have a slightly bigger group, which we've got a newbie in there um, who I, just, I didn't want to force her to come on for this podcast. But I think the conversations that you've had over the last 12 months in particular are nurturing each other in exchange of ideas and growing your teams has just been so incredible for not up-leveling just you, but your entire organizations as a result. Um, let's move on to the quick fire round. Um, I'm actually going to start with a question that isn't in there, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm sure you've all got an answer to this. What would be your number one piece of advice to a woman in tech considering a path to VP? Because you're all you're all there. What would what do you wish you'd known a few years ago on your way to this, or ten years ago, twenty years ago? Number one piece of advice. Anybody want to start? Go for it, Josie. You can create your role. So this is something Tony helped me do. There was no VP of software engineering role at Tile. I saw a need. I saw a need that we were going to scale an organization. And my boss at the time, love him dearly. We'd worked together for close to 12 years on and off at this point. But his strength was the tech side. My strength was really the people side, the processes. And so I made a case to promote him to CTO and promote myself to VP of engineering so we could scale the organization properly. I love that. Um, making your own role is such an important one to recognize. Uh, Sue, do you want to go next? Yeah, uh, I'll say don't stop trying because of the fear of failure. Like the first ever time I heard a proverb, failure is a stepping stone to success. Like I really couldn't comprehend what that was as a kid, but that becomes so true these days. People actually hire you not because you're successful. It's because of your resilience and you can, that you can overcome several failures and you're not discouraged by it. So if you fail, especially women fail a lot of times, let's own it, let's embrace it actually and use that to um, define what our career path should be. I feel like that needs to be like a mantra put on everybody's wall. <laughs> and Catherine, what would be your number one piece of advice? I would say don't be discouraged. Um, there's, you know, this is a, there's a lot of, tough parts of this career that are hard to stomach in a way. Um, stay true to yourself. If you're passionate about engineering and if you're passionate about leadership, then stay on that path and don't let others and yourself even push you out of that path. Stick with it and you will you will ultimately hopefully gain the role that, that you're waiting for. Mm, I love it. All right, let's move on to the next question. This is absolutely my all-time favorite question for the quick fire round because we get so many amazing nuggets that come out of this one. But what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? For me, it was, you have to choose between career and family. No, you don't. 100%, you don't. You absolutely don't. Catherine? I actually would agree with Sue. I've had that happen to me between career where somebody's asked me to choose between career and family. It actually happened back in college years, decades before I had kids. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> Josie? 
All right. So this isn't advice I've personally gotten, but it's advice I've had to correct other people who haven't gotten. And it's that the first job, that internship, that that first job is going to make or break your career. And it's so crucial where you end up landing in that first spot. And it's like, no, no, no. Get into the industry, play around, realize, dude, when I was working on 22 years ago was like, WAP applications for cell phones, if people even know what that means. It's like black and white lines of text here. Like (laughs) if I hadn't changed what I'm doing in the 22 years, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have a job. Right. And so don't don't get especially in this industry where things are constantly changing. Don't let people say like you you have to do this thing and kind of tied to that is also don't let somebody dictate that you have to be a manager because you're a woman. Like if you want to be a manager and a leader, go for it. But you do not have, if you want to stay technical, stay technical, like go be that distinguished engineer. We need them just as much. Oh, I love that. Okay. Flip side question. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Let's start with Catherine. Um, I had a manager once who said, you have to build Teflon on your body. Think about a, a layer of Teflon and the shit hits you and it rolls right off. And the more it hits you, the thicker that layer gets. And it was really about building resilience and grit. And I took that to heart and I still give that advice out today because I think that was very meaningful for me. I love that. My coach talks to me all the time about having Teflon mode. So that one really resonates with me. And best thing ever is Teflon mode. Uh, Josie, you're up next. I think for me... And I've gotten lots of good pieces of advice, so this one's hard to pick one. But one that I think has been, especially during hard times, is just the importance of just slowing down and taking a breath before you respond. Like, you don't, I think we feel so much like, oh, silence is bad, especially on like Zoom calls, which we're on all the time right now. But A second or two of silence can really help reframe and keep you from saying some like really bad stuff eventually (laughs) that's not going to be helpful. So like just that one or two seconds and taking a breath has been invaluable in in having more executive presence, as you Mm. like to chat about. Mm, Absolutely. Sushma, best piece of advice. Yeah, don't ever stop learning and growing as a person. And I think that I've taken to heart because every, I think if you look at the average, like people stay in a company for like two years. And there's a reason for that because I think things, the processes that you put in place, like, you know, the people you've hired, things start to actually like mature after two years and then you have to replace and reset. And you get so emotionally attached sometimes that you fail to notice that these are the things that you built that are no longer working. So sometimes it's important for you to have that open mindset of, I want to learn and grow and I want to reset. And I think that's super critical uh, to grow as a leader. All right. Final question. What is your favorite mindset tip to help other leaders? Josie, we're going to start with you on this one. Ooh, um, take time for self-care, right? Give yourself your, like, I literally start every morning with um, some dancing 
I do a little bit of journaling. I know I love dancing. So I dance to one song. I do some journaling and I do some mindset work. Like I go through a couple phrases that might sound cheesy, but it really prepares me to be in the right mindset to show up for others. So, and that's the thing, like, it doesn't have to be a long thing. I think when I first started thinking about this mindset stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to set aside like an hour and a half, do this whole morning routine thing. It's like, no, I can get this done in like five to 10 minutes. Like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. So. Oh, love that. Sishma. For me, it's uh, empathy is, because you're talking about engineers, empathy may not be one of the most obvious qualities of an engineer, yet it is super vital when we engage with customers, people, team members, and clients to solve a problem. So I would say um, continue to have empathy. Oh, beautiful. Catherine. I think um, both um, Josie and Sushma have some great advice and Mine is really just to make sure you walk in the other person's shoes. And I think it does touch a little bit on that empathy is before you respond, before you react, before you give an opinion, try to really see it from the other person's side and try to understand where they're coming from before you respond in a way, you know, before you respond to what their needs are. This has been an extraordinary conversation. I wish I could have the three of you on every single week (laughs) for the podcast Uh, Thank you all so much for sharing your words of wisdom. I hope we can do this again at some point. Any final words of wisdom from any of you today? Use your network and people around you. It's been amazing, especially like, you know, I've been talking to Catherine and Josie for a while now and gotten wonderful advice. So just lean in on your network. Never hesitate to reach out. And that was the exact same advice I was going to give is, <laughs> especially as women, we do not network. We we forget that, like, and you can make this intentional, like put it on your calendar, right? Like set aside 20 to 30 minutes to a week to be reaching out to folks to make this part of your day to day, because it is it, it is what's going to make the difference in, in being able to stay in this industry. Mm-hmm. I would agree with both of those. Well, thank you all once again. Listeners, if you've listened to this and you found it powerful, you have any comments or any questions, do hit me up over on LinkedIn with a DM. I'm always delighted from here to hear from you. But remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.